I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of this land on which this series was recorded, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hi, my name's Kath and this is a series of conversations with people I'm inspired by and I hope you can find some inspiration from too. This series is powered by Modi Body, period undies and leak-proof apparel. Hi, my name's Lena, uh, I live in Nam and I'm a tattoo artist. Hi, Lena. <laughs> Welcome to Conversations with Kath, um, this very candid setting that is not candid at all. How are you today? You I'm good, I'm good. I'm a little bit tired, but I'm powering on through. You ever tweet that? I want to know, I ask everyone this question, and I don't know why, I just feel like you can learn a lot about a person mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with this very simple yet complicated question. Mm -hmm. If you could pick one Mill for your last like mill on earth. Classic. What would it be? There's rules. Okay. You get a main. Yeah. You get a side, and you get a drink, and okay. you get a dessert. Damn, that's so many options. Okay. Um. You can also like choose to like not have the side, for example. You know what I mean? No, I'm gonna the make the there. most of all of. Okay. These. Yeah. True. Also, I feel like if you're going out, go out full. Um, I would say this is kind of like a misc answer, but um. Probably the one thing that we like never ever got as kids that always in my mind existed as like the pinnacle of the best treat you could have was Fruit Loops. I don't know why. We grew up as kind of like hippies, so you like would sugary allow. cereals with all of the um, coloring and stuff was a total no-go. So definitely mains would be Fruit Loops. Wow. Drink would be, um, I feel like you also, I, personally, I would want to be a little bit tipsy if I knew it was my last meal, so I'm going to go like uh, maybe a espresso martini or something. Get a bit hot. Especially honey with the. It's, it's I know, giving breakfast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know that they necessarily work cohesively, but I'm just going to take in all the best vibes. Okay, so espresso martini, Fruit Loops. <laughs> in fact, maybe we replace the milk of the Fruit Loops with espresso martini. Let's combine all three. I don't think that would be a good combo. Me neither, but you know. You only get a certain yeah, yeah, amount yeah. of time to experiment. So you, you just yeah, gotta go, so. you gotta go. Okay, yeah. Um, what was the other one? So I get a side. If you want the side. Okay, this is turning into a But I know what you have with the really, side of Fruit Loops. No, this is gonna be disgusting, but I'm gonna say um, Korean fried chicken. Just a little side. This is so rogue. And honestly, at this stage, I kind of deserve to be dying. <laughs> um, and then for dessert, Honestly, as well, sticky date pudding, Sara Lee, it was another one of the ones that was like, this was the most special birthday treat you could get as a kid, was a Sara Lee sticky date pudding. So that as well. And then let's just blend them all up together. And <laughs> Is this so, like, I've asked a lot of people this question and I'm going to say you have the award for the most, like... Disgusting answer. Okay, moving on swiftly. <laughs> Can you recall the time where you felt seen? Um... Yeah, I feel like, honestly, it's kind of a funny one. I think for a lot of queer and trans people, the whole idea of being seen or being seen as your authentic self is, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a 
tricky one because there's obviously the way that you're perceived by the world versus the way that you understand yourself. And I kind of like, I wish I had an answer for you of like, at my high school dance, I like took down my hair and saw my crush across the room and it was the first time I felt seen. But I think honestly, this stuff just happens incrementally. Mm. One day you look in the mirror and you're like, damn, that's me, that works. That kind of aligns with my internal view of myself. Yeah, it's really interesting, I think, to, you know, and, and I think as queer people, like everyone's journey is different and whatever, whatever. But I think, especially if you grow up, not un fully under like having to work yourself out as you grow up and then you kind of hit a point and I don't know about you but I feel like I like redo like did or still am like redoing almost like puberty mm -mm -mm. so it is this thing and like sometimes you can just have like moments where you might be like I don't know in a room full of queer people which is like rare and you're like oh I feel seen because almost like I feel safe yeah 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 and you know, feel surrounded by community and yeah definitely yeah. Big question, again. Uh, how would you define personally, how would you define love? And can you um, recall a time that you felt love? Whatever that means. Yeah, so many times. It's so funny, I feel like you can't talk about love without kind of talking in cliches, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think anytime, anytime I, Feel love, especially new love. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like something that you can understand conceptually. It is honestly just like a felt thing. Yeah. And the way I always know at the start is like I will be so goddamn irrational. I will, you know, drive to a random hottie's house at three in the morning that happens to live fifty kilometers away just because they're cute and I got a crush on them. Is that love or gay things? <laughs> but it's a, you know, I feel no, like that yeah. is so, especially, you know, um, queer experiences of love. It's this really palpable internal sense of like, um, I would do anything for this person. And I, and I somehow have this random ability to overextend myself past what I, you know, would yeah. usually have. Because uh -huh. they're real hot and real cool, yeah. you know? Love as well, it's one of those things where it's like, there's so many different forms of love and, you know, I'm, I think I'm really lucky in that I feel that throughout my life in a bunch of different contexts, but um, I've really been trying over the last few years to try and understand love more as existing all on the same plane. So rather than it being a hierarchy of romantic love being the most important and that's what we're going for and we've got to find that one person or whatever to just having heaps of examples of love having you know platonic and familial love in your life and i feel that like so huge i actually think going through my first big heartbreak taught me that mm. but also for me i'm like i have friends that i love romantically my friends are my soulmates yeah. like my best friends like... i don't want to have sex with them but i just like I, I feel that I look at them and it's like that cartoon, like, you know, big love hearts all around their face. I don't know. I think it's all the same, isn't it? I think, I, I think it is too. I think that it's like society that's made us think that it's, that's like romantic love is like above. Mm. But I think it's 
because I think it's a different it's a different kind of love, right? Do you find that like the texture of it's different? Like my friends are my soulmates, mm. but it's a different texture to when I like. See, that's where that's where I'm, what I'm trying to unlearn is I feel like that different texture, a little bit of romantic love, is specifically that within the context of romantic love, we're allowed more intimacy, we're allowed mm. more openness and closeness yeah. and I want to get to the stage where I just have that with all the people I love mm. and the only difference with the different contexts is just the things we do together so you know I might have best friends that we go on a really cute romantic getaway but I don't know we're not going to be making out yeah and then maybe friends where we are going to be making out and really embrace the kind of fluidity within that and you know rather than have these hard lines of these are the things that are allowed in this context because most of those things are specifically there to, I don't know, sell you the Hollywood dream of yeah. finding your one finding true love. Finding your one true love. Yeah, I feel that so deeply. And I've been similar to you, like it's been a recent thing of unlearning all these things and even how like, I don't know if you find this, but like it's such an interesting thing that in like romantic relationships, we can have these like, you know, you can have like open conversations and it's important to have them and like check in and yeah. have like these big discussions. But then it's like with platonic relationships, it's almost like if you were to approach it that way, majority of people are like, oh, like that's a bit intense. Yeah. When it's like, well, it's a different, like I know me with my like best friends now, I'll, I'll have like those discussions and those yeah. like check-ins just like I would with like a romantic partner. Honestly, it's a real gay luxury. I think we've figured this stuff out before everybody else, but they'll be We're following. Geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> fully, 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 fully. What do you think is one of the biggest challenge that you faced and um, how you've overcome that challenge? I feel like there's, um, there are so many challenges for all of us. And I, I think, um, Definitely when I was younger, a lot of my understanding of the world and my, my frame of my identity within the context of my life was surrounded by the challenges that I had. So, you know, the trauma that I've experienced or the difficulties being, you know, a queer person in society or a neurodivergent person in society, all of that stuff. And mm. I think when I was younger, I really lent into the fact that these challenges were, you know, constant obstacles that I had to be fighting against mm. at all times and um, it dominated a lot of my life. The biggest thing that helped me in overcoming that stuff was just realising that, you know, you kind of thrive despite all of those things and there is always going to be people that are having a more difficult time than you. There is always going to be people that are less equipped or, or have less opportunity to overcome those things. So. For me, you know, being able to access therapy, number one, mm -hmm. um, having really great social support, really great friends and family, and being lucky that I found a career that I love. Like these days I really try and focus on all of the things that I'm grateful for. Um, and yeah, those are the things that definitely will help you to overcome any other challenges. It's just having things to be excited about in your life. Totally, yeah. I guess this is a nice little segue then, because I would like to know what is one of the proudest moments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, <laughs> for me, I, I mean, there's obviously big milestones. There's, you know, 
major things that I feel really proud of around um, the job I've made for myself. But I feel like for me, it's the little wins that hit, you know, a bit mm -hmm. harder. Um, I, uh, I have ADHD. We all have ADHD at this stage, <laughs> but um, so there's been little things for me that I have been trying to do for so many goddamn years. One of them, um, it's been literally on my um, New Year's resolution for the last five years was to get my motorbike license. Did you do it? I got it day before yesterday. Congratulations. Oh my God. I and it's hot. Like, I'm terrified. I've, ever since I was like 14, I was like, I want to ride a motorbike. Yeah. The, actually, getting the license part was easy, but the lead up to that, nightmare. I had to Why? Google a thing, write a single email. Yeah, no, they're not. Not well. Maybe even more things. I can't remember. But Not it well. was a difficult time. And that's why it took me five years. But I got there. And now I have my motorbike license. I have my motorbike L's. L's. You can drive though by yourself though on your L's. Which is kind of scary. So definitely I'm going to start by driving very slow mm -hmm. with a lot of gear. Um, in the course they freak you out a lot about how dangerous it is. Which is good. That's kind of what you... Yeah, and it, it is quite dangerous. It, yeah. So, and... Uh, my mum, who also has her motorbike license, Hot. has insisted that I don't go on the highway for the first like six months, which Incredible. I, I agree. Yeah, we're we're aligned in that one. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Proudest moment, motorbike license. Hot. Everyone get ready. <laughs> Ladies on the road. <laughs> I'll be doing mono down the main street. <laughs> I'm excited. Do you have a bike yet? I think I'm going to buy one like next week. Okay, this is hot. This yeah. is good. Maybe I'll get my moment. Maybe I'm inspired. Joe, we'll start a club. Again. I really. Again, if you will. Again. <laughs> There's a festival called Sheila's Shakedown. Um, I think it's at the start of the year. And it's a all non-men, non-cis men mm. motorbike festival. It's just hot bitches on bikes. I want to be one of them. Same. Who was your role model um, growing up? And is it the same? now no <laughs> um, i didn't have role models growing up there was not a lot of representation for trans girls growing up the majority of the ways that we were talked about in any form of mass media was as a punchline as we all know yeah. um so to be honest i i don't think i really had seen or understood that as a way of existing in the world yeah. until i was much much older you find other role models I think I had probably some other just like queer people in my life that I looked up to yeah. um but yeah as I kind of started figuring out my identity figuring out all of that stuff there was a handful of really amazing really talented uh just incredible people that I looked up to um at what age would you say he felt that? Probably. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like a, a lot of that self-exploration did come from literally seeing people living these lives and, yeah. and understanding. One of the first proper studios I ever worked in was is still run by um, uh, this amazing, super talented artist and he's a trans man and the studio is predominantly other queer and trans people and that was kind of the first time wow. I saw people professionals who you know were queer and trans and it hadn't had any major negative impact on their ability to do the things they loved definitely that and then I feel like um in media like 
people like Alok Manon or mm. Vivek Shraya. They change my life. Like people, yeah. I think especially people who exist outside of the binary and people who, you know, feel this pride and confidence within that, but also this like self-assuredness in that being a, you know, um, a right of theirs to live their life in a way that feels authentic. Seeing people like Alok Manon or Vivek Shraya um, who live really comfortably and openly outside of the gender binary and, you know, like as a result, attract a bunch of really messed up, horrible attention um, and are still so strong and so brave yeah. despite of all of that stuff. Like, yeah. Honestly, it sounds all so cliche, but it, that representation really does, does matter it's so a, much. It does. I mean, I even know, for me, I had this idea growing up. I grew up, you know, religious and all the things. And again, I mean, I don't, like, and, and I can imagine, you know, being trans adds a whole other layer. But I, similar in terms of, like, every time I did in the media, in movies, whatever, it was always like, okay, so that's a bad thing. Like, if I am that. I'm not going to have a good life, you know, it's, I'm not going to have friends, mm. I'm not going to, you know, and it wasn't, again, till just like having people just exist mm. and just be themselves with their two feet on the ground, comfortable, being loved. Yeah. I was like, oh, they seem like happy, maybe, maybe you can be yourself yeah. and be happy. Yeah. And yeah. I think definitely as well, a big part is, for me, was understanding diversity within identity as also existing outside of the the constructs that we grew up with because you, you have this idea you know when you grow up that everything you know is how it has always been and how it should always be but like you know these things are colonialist constructs and they haven't been the case forever there's no nope. huge history of gender diversity that's been really celebrated or yeah i i learned a lot more Okay, because I kind of knew that, but like, like Alok is like honestly one of my mm -hmm. favorite people, as mm -hmm. many people would say. Mm -hmm. um, but they do incredible, yeah, in depth. They have like they're like they they just break things down in a mm -hmm. way that makes sense, and it's yeah all about that that like you know we have all existed, mm -hmm. which we have from the beginning of time, but also have been celebrated yeah. once before. But yeah, bringing it back. Well, to end on, I would like to know, when do you feel the most beautiful? Oh my God, do you think I'm beautiful? I do think you're beautiful. You are stunning. Honestly, randomly. I feel like it's, it's one of those things, sometimes everything is just aligned. You're feeling like healthy, happy, and you're looking in, in the mirror and you're like, damn. Damn, that's me. I would kiss that girl. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Um, I love, well, thank you so much for having this chat with that's me. It's a pleasure. You're amazing, you're incredible and stunning and beautiful and hot and um flattering we me. should all have fruit loops with espresso martinis that's the moral of this story Thank you.